0: Welcome to Spiritual Psychology. My name is Renee lavalle McKenna, and I bring my 30-plus years as a recovering addict and ex-crazy person turned therapist and shamanic healer to bring you snackable teachings on spirituality, psychology, and all things personal growth. And today I wanna to suggest that you stop wanting to see the good in everyone. And this might seem counterintuitive on a podcast that has the word spiritual in it, Because most people associate being spiritual, air quotes, with being kind, compassionate, loving, and selfless. And I do consider myself a spiritual warrior of sorts. And my blade has been tempered in the fires of the fierce feminine that rests those qualities on a foundation of ever deepening truth and wisdom. It's kind of an infinite path that calls us to really expand those concepts of kindness and compassion, generosity, and love into an ever-deepening and widening field, which is a catalyst for our own personal growth and has the potential to help those around us evolve as well. But everyone has free will, and everyone, including us, holds darkness, destruction, fear, and selfishness within us. And anyone that tells you that they don't is full of shit or completely self-deluded. If you have skin on and walk on two legs, you have stuff to work through. Unresolved wounding to heal, energetic and emotional resonance to elevate, and relationship in all its myriad forms is the cauldron that cooks the soup for our own transformation and evolution. And whether you have tons of relationships or no relationships, our individual life circumstances are the soup that we feed on right now. And there's a big difference between judgment and discernment when we're assessing our interactions with other people and also in how we hold ourselves. People that are the most afraid of the judgment of others are often the most internally judgmental, maybe just of themselves, but usually... They secretly judge others as well. And when I talk about stopping wanting to see the good in others, I'm not talking about judging them. Judgment is rooted in fear. It generally has very black and white thinking about what's right or wrong and a strong desire to control and elevate itself above others, kind of an ego feeding thing, because I know what's best. And if you're doing something that I think is quote unquote wrong, then it's threatening to me and I find it scary, or if it's outside of my comfort zone, or even what's familiar to me. Most racism, homophobia, and xenophobia is rooted in this kind of fear. And when we have a lot of judgment, it can be quite terrifying to look at the underdeveloped, the self-serving, or the fear-based motives that we have within ourselves. And again, we all have them, and learning to hold them without shame without blame, even without criticism, brings us to a place of what I would call mature compassion, growing toward unconditional love. Very elevated states of consciousness we can aim for, but most of us will only be lucky if we touch upon them in this lifetime. But we can certainly lean in and grow toward them. And this type of mature compassion holds discernment within it. And discernment is a separating, kind of combing out the complicated nature of any situation or of any personality. It can see the same things that judgment does, but it sees them from a place of compassion. Understanding that everyone is actually doing the best they can with what they have, even if it's horrible. In 12-step circles, there's this idea of not taking someone else's inventory to keep our focus on ourselves, And certainly that's an important practice to develop. Honest and accurate self-appraisal is invaluable. I believe every therapist should have a therapist. I happen to have two. <laughs> but I came here with a lot of bags and I'm still unpacking. I believe every person should have someone with whom they can be completely honest who has their highest good in mind, whether this is a religious person, a wise relative, a counselor, or an excellent friend. It's hard to find friends that don't have some motive or idea of protecting you from yourself, growing in the capacity and the ability to hold all of who we are, both the darkness and the light, our selfishness and our selflessness, our fear and our courage is really the fertile ground in which we can root most deeply and grow most fruitfully. And that's an endless process, unless you want to just check out, which brings its own suffering. And I believe we'll probably just have to come back next time and finish what we didn't finish this time around. So I'd rather just do it now. So for myself, I take everyone's inventory. And for the most part, I do it from a place of compassion. And as assessing myself and my own abilities in any circumstance lets me know where I need help, to focus on my strengths, and to be honestly aware where I need to grow rather than denying or avoiding it is an excellent formula for progress. And progress feels really good. I love working out. I like it when my muscles are a little bit sore. I feel good when my mind is a little stimulated and my emotions are slightly engaged. It's the edge of feeling fully alive. Too much of any of that pushes me over into suffering or even exhaustion or withdrawal. And too little, I start to deteriorate. The edge is always changing, so it's not like we ever figure this thing out. There is no there we get to when we've got it. it really depends on what we're doing in this moment right now. And so assessing others, taking their inventory allows me the discernment of who I'm going to loan my car keys to, who I'm going to invite into my bed, who I might have coffee with in a neutral place, and who I need to back away from slowly facing them or even turn and run. And if I'm unwilling or unable to see the totality of a person as best I can, I will be deluded, I will be victimized, I will be frustrated, self-righteous, and perhaps even martyred. And I have felt all of those things because for much of my life, I did not have discernment. And I only wanted to see what was good in people. And I actually only wanted to see what was good in myself. That I often judged myself by my motives, but the world judged me by my actions. And my motives and my actions didn't match up a lot of the time, particularly when I was in my active addiction when what was good in me shriveled and got smaller and smaller, and what was bad in me grew in ferocity and destructive power. I have a client I've worked with on and off for a long time, and her wife is an addict, and they've been together for years. When they met, the wife was sober. They got married and had a really nice life, and then the wife relapsed. And my client had never seen active addiction crack and heroin, violence, guns, it got really dark very fast. And my client was devastated because the partner that she knew and loved had evaporated and was replaced by a raging, despairing, depressed, and occasionally very violent addict who would say she was going out for milk on Friday and come back five days later. And I'm going to tell you, I've been clean a long time and I never get used to it a profoundly extreme Jekyll and Hyde nature that addiction can have. And my client called me again this week because after another bout of recovery, she had found her wife overdosed in the back room of their house and had to do CPR on her with 911 on the phone until the EMTs arrived. And they hit her with Narcan and she was furious at my client for calling the ambulance to help. And although, thank God, I've never had to do CPR on anyone, I have had people kicked dope on my couch. I have had to call 911 on people that I loved who had relapsed. And I have stayed in relationships that were terribly destructive and dysfunctional because I was so attached to the potential that I saw underneath all the suffering. But potential is not reality, and flowers scatter many seeds and only a few of them grow. Fish lay hundreds of eggs and only a few of them make it to adulthood. And growing in the strength and the honesty and the compassion to be with what's actually true in ourselves and others rather than what we want to be true, that's that growing edge. So when I say stop wanting to see the good in others, it's really the wanting that's the problem. It's imperative to see the good in others, but often we don't have the courage or the fortitude, or the faith to be able to really see what's bad, what's wrong, what's immature. And understanding it can allow us to have unconditional love for those people and compassion. But it doesn't mean we need to give them our car keys, invite them into our bed, or even meet them for coffee. I was raised with the idea that love was making other people comfortable and happy. That if they were in a dark place that I should be a light for them. That began very early in my life with my slightly depressed and very anxious mother. But I understand love today as extending myself for another person's growth. And it requires some humility because I actually don't know what the highest good is for anyone. I barely know what it is for myself. I can pray for knowledge of the highest good, And often the highest good is calling people to that growing edge that's slightly uncomfortable because our comfort zone is staying in what's familiar, which is fine if it's all good. But if what's familiar is dysfunctional, then keeping people comfortable actually keeps them sick. And the truth really does set us free. And I don't need to know another person's truth or tell them their truth. In fact, it's generally not helpful to do that. Most people know on some level what they need to do. Hearing it from me can just create a dynamic of resistance between us. I need to know what's true for myself. And the highest good for one is the highest good for everyone involved. I believe that because we're all connected in this interwoven web of life. And it is often when I stop trying to shine my light on another person's darkness. Doesn't mean I have to leave them necessarily that they have the natural consequences of being in the dark and start to seek the light themselves because the light is available to all of us. And if we are the source of someone else's light, then we are playing God, making them dependent upon us. The difference between giving someone a fish and teaching them how to fish for themselves. Now, it's hard because not everybody will do that. I stayed in my first and very codependent marriage with an active addict because I knew that he would die if I left him. Now, I think he was married again after me, so it took a while, but he died at 48, and I'm happy to report he didn't take me down with him. And so some of the growth of this discernment is the maturity and wisdom, the humility to allow people to have their own soul's journey and to be able to tolerate the truth of that within ourselves. To release our own agenda for other people that's rooted in our own fear and suffering and grow in our own inner strength to be more compassionate, more maturely loving than we are right now. And that's actually what the whole 12 step fellowships of Al Anon and Codependence Anonymous are all about. And I will leave you with my favorite poem from the Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh Please call me by my true names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today, I am still arriving. Look deeply, every second I am arriving. To be a bud on a spring branch. To be a tiny bird with still fragile wings. Learning to sing in my new nest. To be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower. To be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. I am the mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river, and I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am the frog swimming happily in a clear water of a pond, and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself, on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my legs as thin as bamboo sticks, and I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl, a refugee on a small boat, who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate, and I am that pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names so I can hear all my cries and my laughter at once so I can see that my joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names so I can wake up, so the door of my heart can be left open, the door of compassion. Thank you so much for listening. If you ever have any questions or ideas for an upcoming episode, send me a DM on Instagram at Renée LaValley McKenna. I'm excited to start a free online community group for spiritual practice, still trying to decide on a platform, but that should be coming after the first of the year. And I hope that some of you will join us so I can meet and interact with you directly. If you wanna learn more about my mentorship program or do a block of work in spiritual psychology, you can shoot me an email, info at com. And if you're open to supporting my work so I can continue to provide free content, I'd be deeply grateful for you to join my support community on Patreon. There's a link in the show notes. You can also get a free download of the first chapters of my book, Allies and Demons, Working with Spirit for Power and Healing. There's a link for that as well. Blessings on your path until we meet again. This is Renee LaValle McKenna for Spiritual Psychology.